Welcome to the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. Tonight, we're going to talk about urban farming. Food is a pretty important part of life, and the history of the world seems to be defined by its farming systems. Before the Industrial Revolution, people grew their own food. And after that, we had to develop commercial and transport options that would take food into the cities. The next big shift in farming was after World War II, when the war industry discovered that they could repurpose their explosives under fertilizer, and that's when we invented chemical farming. Instead of rotating crops, we can now grow the same crop on the same field over and over again by spraying everything with chemicals. What we didn't understand was how this was destroying the soil, how it was depleting the food's micronutrients, and also polluting our water systems. Today, we have a food system that lacks basic nutrition. We have a transport system that moves food around the world, creating an enormous carbon load that is a leading contributor to climate change. The EPA reports that agriculture is responsible for 24% of global greenhouse gas emissions. That's just 1% behind global power production. And that's 10% more than the global transportation industry. So that's a lot. We now live in a world of expensive, unnutritious monocrops, often genetically modified to require the chemicals that have destroyed their nutritional value, often irradiated or otherwise treated to keep them from rotting on their long journey around the world from farm to grocery store. So what's the solution? Increasingly, people are turning to urban farming to once again grow their own food in an effort to save money and provide a nutritious alternative to today's commercial food systems. We're joined on Zoom tonight by Mark Garan with Cultivate KC. Hi, Mark. Oh, thanks for having me. Mike Rowland with Ophelia's Blue Vine Farm. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Stan Slaughter, Missouri Organic Recycling. Hi, Bob. And Jennifer Fink, Kansas City Community Gardens. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Bob. Delighted to be here. Mark, Cultivate KC began in 2005 as the Kansas City Center for Urban Agriculture. I think your stated goal back then was something about growing food in city neighborhoods to feed other people. And I, and I think that's a great goal. Can you give us kind of an overview of Cultivate KC's last 15 years? You know, how has urban farming helped change the landscape? So yes, it began, as you said, in 2005, and with that goal of just promoting urban agriculture, um, kind of Catherine Kelly, who was our founder, had come in and, and was a, uh, an organic farmer in the city and saw, you know, sort of a burgeoning system, like was, with, you know, not a, not a well-developed local food scene at that time, and really started to grow it and nurture that. Um, and... What Cultivate has grown into is um, run, running a series of different programs. You may have known us at the Gibbs Road Farm for many years, um, and currently we have moved, moved, and our main farm is at the Westport Commons Farm, which is a just under two-acre field attached to the PlexPod building there, which was the old Westport Middle School, and so out of that, we do run a, a, an urban farm example of that site, but as well as our current programs, we're looking at food access to, to hopefully support a, you know, a just and sustainable food system for all. Uh, so through that, in partnership with Mark, the Mid-America Regional Council, we'll have, we have a Double Up Food Bucks program, as well as a Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program, as well as we will... Uh, supply a certain amount of donated food off the Westport farm to a few different food pantries. 
Um, then we, it's uh, in its 12th year, we have the New Roots for Refugees Training Farm. And this kind of goes into Cultivate's mission, which is um, not so much in the home gardener or the community garden realm that Kansas City Community Gardens may. Uh, we really focus on um, the business side and growing farm businesses that can then support themselves and support their residents, their neighborhoods in the city, more so than the community garden type um, platform. And so the New Roots for Refugees program is a partnership with Catholic Charities. And it's a four-year training program with new settled refugees. Um, so farmers will enter that program. They'll get a, receive a quarter acre plot to learn and grow on and, and go to market, have restaurant sales and aggregated CSA program. And with the goal of that four years, we'll be able to graduate to their own farm where we will then support them in land access and infrastructure build outs to, to move forward. And thus far, um, there's been 34 graduates from that program over the last 12 years and 28 are still farming in Kansas City um, with current businesses and attending markets. Uh, and then on top of that is the program I run is called the Metro Farms and Food Sy Systems um, program, and which is largely centered around technical assistance to our area farmers. And that could be in policy work, um, working with codes departments, um, working on urban ag codes. It could be in um, supplying resources in terms of, we have a mini grant program as well to hopefully have some, you know, yearly small infrastructure improvements on farms and much like, or just receiving phone calls, emails, answering questions about technical sides of farming. So you're, you're working with the professional farmer, the, the, the more the commercial urban farmers, but they're raising products to sell or otherwise distribute throughout the, the metro area. Yes, that, that's, that would be the main goal of the program I work with. Yeah, yeah uh, Mike, I mean, o Ophelia's Blue Vine, I mean, that's a commercial farmer. Urban farming, yeah, but I mean, you're commercially selling your product. Did you start out as, as a home gardener? I mean, what got you into the urban farming? Yeah, I did. Um, I came to Kansas City and really fell in love with uh, the city. Um, and um, I got into it by um, <clears throat> meeting someone named Venus Newman, who's now at UMKC, but she was at um, Idaho, Idaho Neighborhood Council. And um, they had a garden out there, and as part of their garden, they had master gardeners would come, and they would they would teach inside the garden as that garden was first developed. And so, a lot of my training was just um, starting off as a home gardener and um, growing some stuff. And they're like, "Oh, well, you're doing a really good job at it. So we have this market. You wanna you wanna you do mind selling at it?" And so I did that. And we did that for like seven years. And so. <clears throat> My model was um, growing produce on different lots in the city. Some of them were, um, some of them were donated. Some of them I owned, and some of them were uh, leased from places like Kansas City Community Gardens. You know, you give them so much money um, uh, 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 over the um, over the season, and uh, it includes all the water and all that. You have a little plot, and so um, so that's what I did for a number a number of years. Ophelia's Blue Vine was. Uh, a company I started, um, and it was a throwback to my grandmother who uh, raised me. I spent the summers with her, and she grew up on a farm, of, uh, a family farm in Arkansas. So, really, she taught me 
a lot of stuff about farming, agriculture that I had forgotten. And when I got married in, in a right around that town, I was uh, I met Miss Newman. I I really wanted my boys to know what real food tastes like, real tomatoes, real strawberries, real crab apples. And I wanted other people to have that experience. And so that's kind of how Ophelia's Blue Vine um, got started. And it's great because all the people you have on your panel in some capacity, you know, have helped Ophelia's Blue Vine um, become what Ophelia's Blue Vine um, has become. And so that's a great thing, the knowledge and experience of Kansas City Community Gardens and and, uh, and starting off with seeds and tools and and um, the same with uh, Cultivate Kansas City with grants. Um, a lot of people don't know that Ophelia's Blue Vine almost didn't happen because when I had brought um, I had brought land from the land bank five years ago to, to farm and that land was contaminated. And so through various programs, um, I, I set out on a mission to, um, to rehabilitate that, to fix that soil. And uh, through Missouri Organics and a lot of other people who are smarter than, than I was, you know, with thousands of dollars for soil testing and, and compost, and we were able to fit, we were able to fix that. And so my model just started with a, a piece of a Brownsfield site, and was able to, and just a lot, and was able to turn that into. Now we have a model where we, where we um, have a a thirty by seventy two foot greenhouse that's heated with a, a, a pellet stove and. A, and and uh, can can run all year round and can grow, grow food for the community all year round in the community. Uh, that food can stay in the community, so it doesn't have to travel. It it gets um, set on set through our online store, so people can purchase off the app, and we can have it door dash to them, or they can have it delivered. And so there's refrigeration there, but it really never has a, a very big footprint. You know? and so it's as fresh as. Um, I think fresh B, and that's really what we wanted to. That's kind of the model we wanted to to do. So I, I noticed on your website you're you're selling um, primarily herbs. Yeah, and, and we have we have other um, we have other stuff growing at other locations. Um, so we're we're doing some carrots and some collards and some, but yeah, but the the on Vine on Twenty Fourth and Vine that building is is strictly. Um, dedicated to culinary herbs. Jennifer, you know, um, what, what resources do you have? How do you help a person become an urban farmer? So as you mentioned, we started in 1979 with a really simple idea. Um, a team of folks working over at Metropolitan Lutheran Ministries were handing out food, um, food pantry kind of set up and said, you know, what if we gave people some vegetable seeds? Kansas City is very, very land rich. And we're unique among community garden organizations because we do support this big network of backyard gardeners. When you think community gardens, a lot of times you think about those group sites. But in Kansas City, a lot of community gardening takes place in backyards because here people have backyards. They have space to grow. So what started with those few vegetable packets has now grown into our big headquarters building out in Swope Park. We put out um, about 160,000 seedling transplants and about 50,000 packets of seeds into the community every year. Um, and it's very easy to come out here and get started. All of our home gardener pricing is based on household income. So for low-income clients, it costs $2 a year to purchase the membership with us. That membership comes with a selection of 10 packs of seeds. You can buy additional seeds. Our low-income clients pay 20 cents a pack for those beyond their initial 10. So you get a great selection. 
You get very low cost plants, garden supplies, mulch, straw, those kinds of things. Plus you get all of our team that helps you know what to do with that once you get it home. Um, in 2021, we've launched all of our workshops online. So we have about 40 free workshops a year that range from vegetable gardening 101, if you've never set foot in a garden, never tried to till up the earth before, to some more advanced topics once you're dealing with pests and diseases and looking at natural ways to take care of that. And then we also have workshops on what to do with your produce. If you've never grown in your backyard before, you may get this wonderful harvest and not really know what to do with it. So um, we've kind of run the whole gamut for home gardeners. Um, we also, through our home gardening program, have nine large rental plot gardens here in town that we operate. Seven of those are in Kansas City, Missouri. We've added two in Kansas City, Kansas, because we know that not every backyard is ideal for gardening. You've got a shady backyard. If you're in an apartment, if you just don't have the space, we do offer fairly large size rental plots. They're 20 by 25, so you can grow a lot of food for a family in that space. We also have raised beds for folks who need a little more accessibility of a raised bed or maybe just don't want as much space. So altogether, we have close to 700 ground plots and raised beds available for folks in Kansas City who maybe want to try it out without tilling up their backyard. We also help folks if you do want to till up your backyard for our low income clients, we have subsidized tilling services. Um, we've worked with the city for a number of years. They've been a great partner in helping us do that. So we can send a tilling contractor out and have your garden set up all ready to go in your backyard for you. Beyond our home garden program, we've also grown. We now support a network of about 270 community partner gardens. And those come in all shapes and sizes. Those may be a local nonprofit who is growing food for their clients. That might be a community center who's using it in their youth programming, communities of faith, neighborhood groups who are renting out plots to their neighbors. But our team will go on site, help folks find a suitable site, make sure their soil's in good shape, make recommendations if it's not, help them design and plan that garden help them get a water source, which is a lot of times one of the biggest challenges to getting the garden up and running is that water source. And then we also offer all of those sites access to all of our seedlings and seeds and supplies. We also have a network of about 220 school gardens, same concept as the community gardens, only on school grounds, and a team that comes with that that provides in-classroom and in-garden education with kids. Um, and then finally, in 2013, we were really proud to be the incubator for the Giving Grove program. They do urban orchards, much in the same way we do urban community gardens. Um, that program has since launched on a national scale, but continues to operate in Kansas City and just planted its 200th orchard in KC this fall. So we've got a thriving network, um, big or small, there's a place for everyone who wants to get their hands dirty and get started. Tell more about the orchards. Is this people growing some fruit trees in their backyard or you're also looking at larger lots filled with fruit trees? You know, it started as group sites, but what's kind of unique about our program is that we do what we call little orchards. So if you think of a typical commercial orchard, it's big, it's expansive. You're using a lot of sprays and chemicals to keep that up and running. Our average orchard is 15 trees, or it might be 10 trees and some brambles and blackberry, raspberry kinds of things. Um, so we scale it down to where it's attainable for community groups. And we are an all natural approach. Um, we do not use chemicals in that, which makes it much more affordable. 
We have since branched out. We do also offer fruit trees and shrubs for purchase for our home garden members and have some education that goes around that. So you can grow a fruit tree in your backyard if you have space. Stan and I have been talking about building home forests for sequestration engines and, you know, one of the um, types of home forest is that fruit forest. So, I mean, there's a lot of overlap, not only providing your own fresh, nutritious fruit, but also the, the wonderful sequestration that, that plant groupings like that can cause. Stan, what, what about Missouri Organic? I mean, you guys have been around forever. I mean, what, what have you seen happening in the urban farming movement here in Kansas City? Well, <clears throat> I've only been with Missouri Organic for four years, but I knew the original founders of Cultivate and moved into the city in 1990 uh, and had a vacant lot to myself in my house that I bought. And so got the experience directly of the toxic levels of, of trash and junk that would come when, you know, nowadays you have to remove the foundation, haul all the debris that was dumped into the foundation away. That's not the case with a lot of lots sitting around the city. So um, um, I've seen that grow. I've seen Cultivate grow, and it's been very exciting. Also, I met the founder of uh, Kansas City Community Gardens a long time ago, and I've watched that since they're underground house days on Paseo. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as actually what's been happening is a, is a steady growth, I think. Um, a part of this came from 1984 when the Greater Kansas City Green Party decided we'd like to have a regional food system. We started holding conferences and then we started holding a food expo for growers to show their work off. And um, I was involved in that for a long time before I started singing and entertaining for that. So I've kind of seen a lot of it happen. And I'm just thrilled with uh, the school gardens that you guys have. Um, I went to schools doing assemblies for, the, for a long period, too, talking about composting and healthy food all across Kansas and the Midwest. <laughs> but um, Missouri Organic has a, a good program of donations. So uh, I have a, have something on the website called Sudden Gardens that I started in 2012 before I joined Missouri Organic, which is a tiller and a pickup truck and a load of compost. And we would go, I would go out and just do a for-profit <laughs> tilling operation and get a garden started. Um, I've been lucky enough to go to, you know, probably 70 or 80 backyards personally and talk to people about their plans, what they want to do. And now uh, the sudden garden service is basically me going out and looking, you know, just kind of going over their plans with the homeowner deciding, you know, I'm sorry, you really don't have enough sun. <laughs> you got to go over here. Um, you know, many, many things about it. Kansas city, the yards that I've tested in Kansas city are in the four and 5% organic matter, which is considered really pretty good. Um, the problem is the clay and uh, of course compost is a great ingredient to uh, break that up as well as some fungi inoculants, if you can get that in place. <laughs> but uh, um, Missouri Organic from the first has been real generous with their donations. We generate about, uh, donate about 20,000 cubic yards of compost and mulch every year. And that's soil building as well as fertility. 
the mulch itself is, is a big, is actually a fairly good way to start on a really rough site is to, is to put wood chips down and wait for a while or plant through them. But um, yeah, um, I'm the guy who gets the requests for the donations. So um, I get to go out and talk to the people and, and facilitate their, their requests. And <clears throat> I can honestly say, I, I don't think of, of anything that's been just been rejected as far as a nonprofit or a church or a community center. We donate to them liberally. And I'm really proud of that. Um, so a group or individual that's that's wanting to start a, a home garden, an urban farm, or whatever, you're a resource they can reach out to and and kind of come in and do that initial survey of saying, you know, this will work here, this won't work here. Just kind of give them some expertise and point them in the right, right. direction. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just for example, one of the big things I was building raised beds, and it's a good idea around here. You can change the soil. But you're better going to go be at it for a while as far as getting the clay to breathe and loosen up and, and uh, percolate water. But uh, so raised beds are a popular thing, but uh, you can see a lot of very strange designs on the Internet. And uh, people want the garden up in their lap, you know, and my experience personally is that um, that's a pretty poor idea. First of all, it's expensive to build a container this high and then fill it with 30 inches of dirt. Or um, the biggest problem that people don't recognize is that when you've got a bed that's that high, it's not in contact with the soil, which mellows the temperature and the garden can get way too hot in the summertime, especially when it faces directly east or west, it gets a whole half day of baking sun and um, <clears throat> Soil temperatures above 70, 75, pretty much shut down a lot of activity in the soil. And I have personally fried several tomatoes that, that should have grown really, really well because we put great soil in there, but they were in a black plastic um, container that was 18 inches high, just 18 inches high. And I put straw flakes along the sides on the east and the west to keep the sun off of it. The, the, Broccoli and greens grew great in the early summer, you know, in the early season. By the middle of the summer, the tomatoes were completely shut down. They never got taller than about this. And uh, so I'm, we coach about a two by 10, like a nine and a half inch wide, four feet wide. And put, I like to put a seating rail around it so that people can sit down. I understand arthritis, don't happen to have any, but uh, the, the point is um, it's very difficult to build a, an elevated bed and keep it at a cool temperature. That Sounds works. like the purpose of your raised beds is just to provide better soil than you might need. Right. You fill that. In your yard. You fill that yeah. with really good nutritious soil. Right. And it's the, not so much about putting it up in the air so it's easy right. to work um, with. And this is another big thing. God makes soil. You know, there's a lot of biology and uh, interactions that have to take place we mix the ingredients you know, and we put out something that will become a good soil in six months. But people often want, you know, obviously want to buy something. They want it to grow immediately. We always include a little bit of fertilizer with that because that first crop is going to be sitting in a place where 
the biology is not yet up to its future uh, abilities. And so um, we've had a, a lot of different mixes. Right now we've got a raised bed garden mix that we like a lot. That's doing, that's performing really well for people. So you're something of a home gardener yourself? Oh, quite a bit, yeah. Um, I won't say when I started. <laughs> you, you, can tell, you can tell us what you're growing though. Oh, well, um, we're growing what we like to eat. And uh, we're, we're doing a very selective, you know, obviously everybody wants those 10 or 15 tomato plants that you can end up with that, that, uh, that cannibal surplus for those three or four weeks in the uh, last of July and first of August that where the production is really peaking. And we like to can, you know, 15, 20 quarts of tomatoes. Other than that, we're growing the quantity that my wife and I can really use. We have current bushes and blueberries and a nice red raspberry patch, a really good asparagus patch. We have it all here. This is Bob Grove, and you're listening to The Climate Hour. Let's talk a little bit more about how to become an urban farmer. Uh, Mark, I know Cultivate KC was working with Kansas City, Missouri's Urban Planning Department. I mean, this was back in like 2010, whatever, to pass new codes that supported urban food production. And, um, you know, Cultivate KC helped organize that Missouri Food Summit that kind of brought people together and kind of set the platform for people to be able to raise food crops in their yard. So what are the local codes today for urban farming? Can I grow food crops in my front yard? Oh gosh, I'd have to pull up my codes booklet to really <laughs> speak to you because they're complicated <laughs> and every municipality spot. is different. Um, but no, you still are not supposed to throw, grow them in your front yard still. that We'd like to get that changed. Um, but so it's primarily a backyard operation. Yes, if you're talking about just a residential backyard. Uh -huh. Now, you'll, you'll see urban farms going into vacant lots and you getting special use permits or variances from the city to grow uh, more extensively across. But And it doesn't always fall into only the codes books. There could be HOA rules in certain neighborhoods as well. Um, but I am part of a, the Greater Kansas City Food Policy Coalition. And we're having, we have an urban zoning I believe Mike's on that as well with the Urban Zoning Task Force. And we're just right now uh, hoping to put together some best practices for codes and, and suggestions to have a more unified throughout the city um, and greater access and make it even easier for urban ag. That work in 2010 did increase quite a bit. What that initially did was define um, home garden, sort of community garden, CSA type market garden, and allows a little more leeway in some of those aspects. But um, a lot of great resources in the city to get started. I mean, just if you're talking about from a beginning grower standpoint, uh, Cultivate did have a get growing program once upon a time, and that has developed into um, the growing growers program is uh, administered by K-State and Cultivate participates in the steering committee. We run workshops and have apprenticeships associated with that program where our apprentices will get placed onto a farm um, for the season and learn the aspects of growing. We hold 
various educational events throughout the year as well. And the big annual one that Cultivate holds is the Farmers and Friends Conference every February um, to really concentrate on the local food scene. So some good educational resources. Uh, Jennifer, what do you find or, or what is um, Kansas City Community Gardens recommendation to a homeowner in terms of what their codes are, how, you know, what they can put in? You know, we don't run into that quite as often, just based on the scale that we're putting in. If you're talking a backyard garden, you're generally safe. Um, if you're looking at a vacant lot, that's that's a big thing to tackle if you're a brand new gardener. So we tend to advise folks to start small, and then we tackle those codes issues as they're getting some more experience. I do. I mean, just walking around Midtown and stuff, I am seeing raised beds in front yards. I mean, um, just a few blocks up from me, there's this gorgeous home garden that takes you, it's a corner lot. And he's taken the entire side of his lot with just, you know, all kinds of, I mean, peppers, tomatoes, corn. So I do see that happening. And, you know, you always wonder now, is he supposed to do this or is he just doing it and getting away with it? I'd say it's more about doing it. If you do it well, it looks good. And, you know, it, I well, think. What point, at what point does crops become landscaping? Because it's a beautiful yard and he's got pathways going through it. And, you know, you could argue that's just his flower beds. He just happens to be growing food crops as his landscaping. It's a great concept called edible landscaping that mm -hmm. no one should complain about, right? <laughs> <laughs> Front yard stuff gets into, it's really about field crops. They're trying to think they don't want to see a couple rows of corn in your front yard or so. Sure. Well, Kansas City's had a strong food, not lawns program for a long time, too, especially Sam Man up north been uh, Steve Mann has been doing that for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's a great idea. Um, Mike, I know you, you grow on some urban lots. I mean, what, what's your experience with coding and, you know, what kind of permits and stuff have you had to get, if any? Um, yeah, not so much permitting. So, so this is the deal on that. It's, um, I think when you're growing on an urban lot, you have a, um, so the code will, not necessarily like really um, worried about coding, you know, because we try to keep it, um, we try to keep it neat, clean, and try to, you know, keep the lines right. I think, um, I think, especially growing like on vacant lots in between other people's property, you have even more of a responsibility to like always make sure, like my lots, I, I always make sure the grass, the grass is never not cut you know mm -hmm. you always make sure that stuff is picked up and trash is picked up um and it's not really about growing um right growing corn may not be bad but it's just like you have to think about that in, in your design so i think if it if it's really well well done then it'll be um that people in the community will consider it a benefit you know but in the in the heat in, the, in a, gar a garden can be really hard to tackle at times, especially like in the in the middle of the summer. Um, and it can vary like grapes and just just it can uh, eat roses. Just think it can get out of uh, control really fast, you know. And it can it can turn into what was once a beautiful space. It can turn into an eyesore. And so I think you just have to be conscious when you're, especially when you're not living in that community, because you may not see it like. Every day, you know, you may not have to see it. So I think you just have to um, just keep an eye on it and just try to remember that um, you uh, just keep your form simple. So maybe you're only growing one or two drains. Maybe you got a couple patches of mint. Um, but as long as you keep it, um, 
as long as you keep it simple, uh, I think you won't have a problem. Sounds like should, a good, say good that, neighbor uh, policy. Sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, I, I should say that uh, Cultivate, we do have an extensive file that lists every code for the nine municipalities or nine county region mm -hmm. here. Um, and I'm able to provide that to folks if need be as well, but it will be posted on our website. We took it off um, to to make some updates to it here currently, but you can go on there and you can see the, the codes that pertain to urban ag in your area. That's a good resource. And I was saying, it sounds like it's a, a basic good neighbor policy. I mean, you maintain your property, you keep it attractive as we all should for our yards. That way your neighbors have nothing to complain about. Yeah, and you just have to make sure it fits. Make sure your design, make sure what you want to do may not be like growing a whole plot of corn, maybe what you want to do, but you have to think about your neighbors and kind of how that's going to look and how it kind of fits in. So so I think that's really the most important thing. And and actually, if you do it well, you know, like what we've done, you know, people will, the neighbors will come over and they'll help you and they'll talk to you and they'll buy stuff from you, you know. And so, and so um, keeping a relationship in the with the neighbors is important. If you live in the community or even if you don't live in the community, I have a couple of people who, I have a guy who, an employee who was um, doing some contract work and um, one of the guys who lives around the corner stopped, hey, because he was fiddling with the door, hey, what are you doing there, <laughs> you know? So that that's what you want. You wanna, you wanna reach out to uh, your neighbors um, and talk to them, build a relationship so they can, so they can be, um, you know, so they can be behind you and keep an eye out on your property and then just, you know, uh, if something's not working, they'll tell you. If something isn't working, they'll tell you. Um, the city of Springfield, actually not officially the city, but in Springfield, there's an organization called the Well-Fed Neighbor Program. And for community building, but also maybe a little bit of security to have somebody who will watch your house, uh, they adv you know, advocate you know, a bag of groceries to every house you can see. You know, I'm on the corner, so I've got about seven houses that get bags of surpluses throughout the year. Not very often, unfortunately, but, but they know that there's a big garden over here and it's to my benefit to keep it um, safe and secure and all those other things. So um, has a little survivalist tinge to it, but it, uh, the idea is a good thing, really build, build community and get people looking out for you. I think a, a garden, I mean, whether it's, it's your home garden or a, a lot or a community garden, I would think that that would bring community together. It's a good factor. It I is. wanted to talk about getting started. The, the jury is kind of in as far as tilling. And given the fact that we have clay, um, you know, if I, if I were to start a garden, I, I might still till it, but only once. And I would make sure I put a lot of compost as deep as I could. But when we break up the soil, we break down the aggregates and make them available to bacteria, which causes a huge release of the carbon in the soil. So even if you put compost in, it's, it's said that you may, it may be just breaking even with the organic matter in the soil. And so people are headed for a sheet of cardboard over your garden with three inches of compost on that, and then planting, cutting a hole for your tomatoes and digging them in a little bit. But, you know, planting in the compost on top of the cardboard, and get, it's, it works. And next year, the worms and the biology have destroyed that barrier, and all of a sudden there's, there's soil where there wasn't any. 
And so um, the cardboard's the cardboard's purpose is to prepare the soil underneath it. So that first year, you're just kind of using that for a barrier, uh, and then just to kill the time. grass, basically, just because the grass. that grass gets in the dark and in the damp, it decomposes pretty quickly, and then that's provided a lot of ex excess of our, um, organic matter to to feed the worms and bring them to the surface and get this whole thing going. The cardboard can't take that condition very long and soon you've got, you know, I'd start it in the fall before if I were <clears throat> really serious about it, but uh, it does work. And I, I make that available to everybody to know if they're not building a raised bed, which I prefer um, in this area, uh, if, and you want to get started on a shoestring, um, I, I think that's a, a good possibility. So it sounds like, I mean, if I want to become an urban farmer, the, the, the first consideration is location and soil. And I'm um, hearing all of you have classes and resources to help a person figure that out. You know, maybe a consultation or, or some online videos and stuff you can watch and learn, you know, what your options are. So that kind of gets you started and then prepping the soil and then turning to, to Jennifer's group or various places to get your, your seeds, your, your plants and such. What is the best source for seeds in the metro area? Do we have a seed bank in Kansas City? Non-GMO, do you know good, good organic type seeds that we'd wanna grow? Mark, where do you get your seeds? So I tend to get my seeds from a few couple sources. I wouldn't say Kansas City has a seed bank necessarily, but there are, several things like seed exchanges that people do or plant exchanges that get facilitated um, and a lot of just general seed sharing from that way. Um, personally, I'll, I often will looking for specific varieties and I may be ordering them from a place like Johnny Seed or uh, Baker Creek heirloom seeds um, and, and locally often we'll pick up seeds at Planters Seed and Spice in the river market. Mike, where do you pull your seeds? Yeah, um, lately we've happened to do a lot more um, buying seeds online, you know, because like limits on seeds, like I just bought five pounds of dill the other day. Um, and, and here really people aren't really letting you, um, you know, there, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a shortage, so they're trying to make it uh, fair for everyone. But then again, you still, have, you still have stuff as a farmer you need to plant. So um, I really like... Um, uh, plant, I've really loved over the years Planter Seed Store. They have, um, you can buy uh, seed in bulk, one of the great places uh, that um, in Kansas City that you can do that. And they also have packeted seeds. Harlan Nursery has some, has some great seed selection. Kansas City Community Gardens has a great seed selection for, they have a, um, a beanstalk uh, selection. So they have some really uh, great selection of seeds um, that you can plant in a garden for children. So that's like, that's like the top of my list. And, and then what I love about them is the variety of seeds are tested and uh, you know, it's going to grow well for the area. And so they have a list on their website uh, and you has a recommended list variety. And so if it's not on that list, really, I don't, I don't grow it because you, you're going to grow it and you're going to be dissatisfied with it. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I look for, um, look at their list and then look at um, Missouri, University of Missouri list of recommended varieties. And, and then just talk to people at the different community gardens. Hey, where are you growing? Oh, I'm growing provider. Oh yeah, what corn are you growing? I'm growing bodacious and peaches and cream. That's it, that's all I'm gonna grow because that's what everybody grows around here. 
And so after a couple of years, you get it. So I just kind of sort of felt my way to greatness, you know, by just like doing it wrong for so many years. And, um, and then I just got the epiphany, you know what, hmm, let's just reach out to a cultivate, reach out to Kansas City Community Gardens, reach out to some people who, you know, who have been doing it longer than I have, and they've been a great resource. So um, I, real quick, I just wanted to mention as far as uh, I totally agree with uh, what Stan said about compost, and, and that's really how we do, we do the urban gardens and have uh, watched people build out the urban gardens. Um, a lot of people, they'll get the compost and they'll till it in. And I've never done that. Well, I did it one, I did it on vine because I had to. But usually, um, if if there's no contaminants or anything in the soil, you'll wanna, you want to um, you want to till it and plow it and get all the brick and glass, aluminum, just stuff buried out, out of there. And then you get a good compost like a Missouri Organics, fungally dominated, compo excellent compost. And I don't even put um, the cardboard down. We just do 30 inch rows and just do it really thick, like maybe a foot. And um, and we plant into that, the seedlings into that. And it's, it's, it's the spacing is, I don't know, maybe a foot. So if it's, if it's maybe a kale, so it's, it's uh, 10 inches, 12 inches spacing in the, in the row. And, uh, and if there's any grass, um, it's going to get a jump start. It's the cavity is going to shake all that out. And so that's always worked for us. If it's the only reason I put uh, on the back end of my property, I have a really invasive vine. And so last year we, we covered that with, um, with card, with cardboard and it killed like 90% of it off. off. Um, a lot of people do. Um, if I, if I had, that amount of cardboard, I probably would have, you know, done it like that, put the cardboard down if I had access to that amount of cardboard. So that is, that is a great way to do it. But um, if you do it like put the compost down really thick and then stay on top of it, maybe use the, the cardboard for the aisles, you know, it's, a, it's the best way to go. And their compost is weed free and that's what you want. <laughs> so. It's cooked hot and long. Yeah. <laughs> no, no weed survives. Yeah. Jennifer, I know you provide seeds and saplings. Where, where do you source yours? Do you, are you propagating your own seed or? A little bit of both, actually. So we, for our main seed line, we carry two seed lines. We carry um, kind of our classic KCCG line seeds, which are just those staple crops. And we source those from a lot of the folks that Mark mentioned, Johnny's and some of those big vendors. We order them in bulk and then have a team of volunteers, most of whom are gardeners who rent plots out here at our office that come in over the winter and hand package all of those. So it allows us to offer them at very, very low cost. Um, and over our 40 year history, that catalog has really been derived from what works best in Kansas City. We've listened to a lot of gardeners, folks have been doing this for decades. Um, our selections are designed to be as disease and resist pest or pest resistant as they can be naturally. So maybe something that ripens a little earlier before the wave of pests hits for the year, that kind of thing. Um, there's great descriptions of all of those up on our website, why we chose them, when to plant them, a lot of resources for beginning gardeners. And then our beanstalk seed line that Mike mentioned are all seeds that are grown or all varieties that are grown here in our beanstalk children's garden. So lots of really fun, colorful stuff. Um, I've got rainbow carrots and um, Easter egg radishes going at home for my kids. So lots of really fun things. We do propagate a few of those ourselves. We've got some things like the sensitive plant that really are not as much about food as they are about fun in the backyard. 
Um, but those are really fun for families. And again, designed to be pretty resilient, easy to grow things. So you have some success the first year out. That's very cool. I say, Bob, beyond the seeds, there there are some great transplant sales that go on in the city every year. I know KTCG has a big transplant sale. The farm school at Gibbs Road has a big transplant sale every year. You can do, you know, online ordering and then curbside pickup too and a lot of those. Um, as beyond that, we offer bulk ordering. So we will um, organize with groups of farmers to get better prices on bulk Deliveries such as seed potatoes, fertilizers, strawberries, garlic, and onions, thing, things that you need to get in, um, but paying as an individual, like smaller amount and the shipping costs associated with that. When you aggregate uh, together, you get much better prices. So great resources you're all offering. Is there um, support groups, maybe not the right word, but um, Mike, you were talking about talking to other farmers and such. I mean, are, are there organized gatherings? Where do the farmers go to exchange information? So so real quick, I think that just uh, all of these organizations have um, like events or places that they may be at set, setting up a, a table or whatnot. There are groups like uh, like um, um, Young Farmers, National Young Farmers in, in, um, in uh, Black urban uh, grower, farmers and growers. There are other groups and stuff you can join, but I think that you just have to, you just have to pass, you have to have the passion to, to be able to get out and speak with people and just, just find, I mean, just um, for, for me, it was, it was uh, renting plots in different community gardens or going to different community gardens and then just talking to the people um, or going to Kansas city community gardens. Like, like I went up there when I was first getting started, like I went up there like every day like noon when I got off. They got in every day I made sure to ask like at least two, one or two questions. And it went after a while they were running from me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but I learned I learned so much, you know. And um so yeah and 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 people in Kansas City are so willing to share what they know. You know, I'm like, hey Ernie, why do you why are you healing up those collards like that? And then you know say hey can can I record you doing that and so you just learn so much from other people and that's the best way there's only so much that you can get out of a book um and I've seen people the book will say one way and and like planting corn in one of the community cars guards at Ivanhoe Richardson some people are like I don't plant corn in Kansas City it can't be done and like if you go to that garden you will see people who have patches of corn and the ears are ridiculous you know, and you're, and that's what you have to be involved in the community. That's what you have to get out and talk to people, you know, talk to the reverend or, or you know, the different people who are, um, who are in the community running these, uh, running these garden plots. And, uh, and that's really how you learn. That's how, that's how I learned. Very cool. Uh, Jennifer, if I'm just getting started, let's talk a little bit about the community garden plot versus the home garden. Is, is one more appropriate or just, does it just depend on the person? You know, I think Mike just shared the greatest benefit of community gardening is that you have 20 people doing it along with you and you have people who have decades of experience. It's also kind of a zero commitment game. If you want to rent a bed or a plot for a year and decide it's not for you, you haven't torn up your backyard and put a lot of investment into raised beds or smothered your grass and started a ground plot. Um, So it's an easy way to try it out and see what you think. So it sounds like a good a good test. You know, if you're wanting to see how it goes, try that community plot for a while and then move to your backyard. Right. Or it's a great yeah. test and I'll add because every garden is the soil is different. And so I've learned so much because what 
what the soil is like on one garden, it's going to be totally different in another garden. And so, and so learning that is just makes you stronger. That's, that's really important too. Along with um, all these crops you're raising, there's also the idea of livestock. I don't know if you've been hearing this rooster next to me here going off, but I'm seeing more and more chickens in an urban setting. Um, what's your experience with that? Are people starting to raise chickens for the eggs or whatever? Yes, quite a few people raise chickens in the city. Um, there is some even hogs. There's some uh, goats as well and, and quite a, eggs and broiler chickens both. Um, there's, there's limits to the number that you have and, you know, you get in back into the zone and the coding of how, how far away from the property line it needs to be or how far from your house the coop has to be, uh, but it's definitely allowed. Thank you. I appreciate everything that you've taught us today. This is a wonderful subject. So where can we learn more about your group? Mark, where do we go to learn more about Cultivate KC? Yes, cultivatekc.org. Very good. And Mike, where can we go to learn about Ophelia's Blue Vine Farm? Ophelia'sBlueVine.com or Ophelia'sBlueVineFarm.com. We have some videos that tell our story and we have uh, all of our hours listed. Um, you can order, pick up or delivery in the volunteer hours, Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 1. Love to have you out to the farm so you can really see kind of what we're doing um, for yourself. A lot of people, a lot of the comments like within the last couple of weeks, we've gotten people have come in and, and just been amazed. And that was the intention when I started out with Billy's Blue Vine Farm. Well, thank you. Stan, where do we go to learn about Missouri Organic Recycling? MissouriOrganic.com. Sudden Gardens is one of the big choices you'll have. And of course, all, all the products. Jennifer, Kansas City Community Gardens. We are at kccg.org. Um, we've got the full catalog of all of the seeds, plants, and supplies we offer along with all of our resource library for starting gardeners. Thank you. This is the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove.